Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hi there and welcome to the Press Gallery, Edmonton Journal's weekly politics podcast, the How Low Can You Go edition. It is Thursday, December 11th, and my name is Sarah O'Donnell. I'm here in the newsroom studio with city columnist Paula Simons. Good morning, Sarah. Provincial affairs columnist Graham Thompson. Hello. And legislature reporter Miriam Ibrahim. Hello. This week, we want to talk about the waning days of the sitting of the legislature and the increasing rhetoric tied to the waning prices of oil. And the oil prices, it should be noted, are the inspiration for this week's title. So maybe we should have called it How Low Can It Go? But let's start with a little cleanup from last week. After we recorded and had a long talk about the backlash against Bill 10, which officially is called the Act to Amend the Alberta Bill of Rights to Protect Our Children, Premier Jim Prentice pulled it off the table. I managed to sneak a little insert into the podcast, but we didn't get to talk about that choice. So it's been almost a week now. Has there been any further fallout from his decision to pull that bill off the table? Well, it's, it's, he's managed to keep it relatively quiet. He's buying himself more time. And the minute he pulled it off, people have been criticizing him. It's interesting. The opposition isn't saying scrap it altogether. Um, they want to see what he's going to do in the spring. He can't let, let this thing um, disappear uh, for several reasons. First of all, it's still in the order paper. It's still there. It will be brought up again in the uh, the spring. But if he wants to let it die, the opposition then could bring up another private member's bill to do it all over again. So he must deal with this. Right. They have to. But but he has bought himself some time. Okay. So we will see it back again. Do you think you said spring? You think we'll see it back as early as spring? Well, it's on the order paper. Yeah. Okay. Okay. What do you think? Are there lessons that he's learned for this? I mean, a lot of people said that this was maybe I said it. A lot of people said this was his first major misstep as as premier. Well, presumably he's he's learned maybe um, that putting out a piece of legislation that is pretty plainly um, has been drafted very quickly uh, is not a good idea. I mean that the fact that that um, was done that way, I think for, from a lot from a lot of people's perspective was sort of, you know, a, a cynical sort of move, you know, just to, designed to take control of that particular issue, and, and then ultimately it ended up backfiring. Um, you know, even when it came down to the amendments that were being put forward by the government, that, that amendment wasn't ready when the government should have had it ready. I mean, that that spoke volumes, I think, to a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, it was such a cynical move, and I think, 
I think it really took the shine off of people's expectations that maybe Jim Prentice was going to do government differently. Because, you know, there's no question that they brought this bill with the explicit purpose of quashing debate on Laurie Blakeman's bill to establish gay-straight alliances. They drafted it, as Miriam says, in haste and stupidly without apparently reading through their own bill to understand the legislative pitfalls. But I think probably the largest lesson he's learned is that Albertans have changed. I remember when Jim Prentice came in uh, to meet with our editorial board when he was running for the leadership, I mentioned to him that I'd called his constituency office back when he voted in favor of gay marriage. You know, he voted with the liberals federally. And he talked to me about how the backlash that he received was just terrible. That You know, the threats to his office and people calling the homophobic, you know, vitriol. And I'm wondering if maybe that was in the back of his mind. I don't think that he, perhaps he understood how much this discourse has evolved since then that Albertans are not necessarily the same people that they were 10 years ago. And I think that maybe he was as surprised as anybody by the the strength of the reaction against Bill 10. It was pretty cheeky when the city of Edmonton lit up the high-level bridge on the Friday after uh, the bill had been yanked in the rainbow colors of pride. And it wasn't it, political, it, though. Just no, It was just what people wanted. No, it was just, you know, just they had that setting, you know. Yeah. So we've come a very, very, very long way when that kind of statement of gay pride by a level of government, you know, thumbing its nose at another level of government. I think maybe Mr. Prentice learned that Albertans have evolved in a way that maybe he hasn't. And, and the question now becomes, um, I think Paul is right, the, the shine has come off him to a large degree. The question now is, on this bill in particular, what does he do with it in the spring? Does he actually do something and push it ahead and say, you know, um, I've learned my lesson and we're going to do something right. And, and live with it. Yeah, yeah, we're going to do the right thing, live with it. I plus, also wonder... Plus it's going to be really complicated because there are, there are kind of legal issues. How, once the bill's been amended and it's gone to third reading... It's a parliamentary law nerd's delight. I mean, it's gone. It's well, gone through they, committee. It's they, been amended. No, so but they, 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 can, they can put it back. Yeah, it's, yeah. They'll just uh, defer it back to committee as a whole. Okay, a majority uh, can pretty much do whatever it wants, right? Yeah. yeah. And I wonder, my lesson. I wonder if he's learned. Has he learned the lesson that if you're premier and you're and you're in the legislative session, maybe you shouldn't be leaving for a week in yeah. the middle of session. I just, because yeah. I wonder if things would have gone differently if he had been actually here in Alberta to, to feel what was going on. But anyhow, let's move on the, to other matters. Bill 10 didn't quite work out. Did, did, did the Tories manage to get anything accomplished on that was on their agenda to begin with? Oh, certainly, of course. They passed They passed a number of bills. I think they passed 10 in all, um, a condominium um, act that had been um, long awaited, but then sort of um, criticized by, by certain organizations. What does that condominium bill do? Um, it, it really, it's, a, it's an overhaul of, of the existing laws. Um, it brings in new protections for for buyers, brings in new um, standards for developers and for builders, but there's just been some dispute over whether it goes far enough, and the opposition tried to hoist it. That didn't work. Surprise, surprise. And so they passed it uh, this week. There's been a few other ones, some housekeeping bills, but there was also the Management Savings Act that was repealed. That was the bill that was introduced by Redford. It was 
a flagship bill, really, that would have split off the Alberta Heritage Savings Trust Fund into $2 billion worth of endowments. That was repealed. Um, and there are a few other bills. Um, Did it also require the forced savings, or is the forced savings still part of the no, budget? No, that's a separate, separate, that's a separate piece. Okay. Yeah. And is the provincial government more accountable than it was, let's say, just a couple <laughs> weeks ago? You're talking about Bill Bill 2. I, I the, am. Thank you for reading my signals. Act. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, this wasn't really so much a new act as it was I'm amending uh, some some existing acts as well as putting through what's called Treasury Board Directives. And this ties back to, of course, the uproar over Redford giving her political staff huge severance packages when they left. Uh, so this is going to put a lid on severance packages. We saw uh, the, her chief of staff get you know, $200,000, $300,000. These are the kind of levels they were paying these people for severance packages. There'll be a lid on that at six months' salary. They're also um, uh, extending the cooling-off period for uh, people in government. When, when they quit government, they can't come back for a year now to lobby or work for lobbyists. Six months before, now it's, it's going to be 12 months. So this is a way for them to try and show they're being more ethical than Redford. A, a big problem, though, is the fact that I mentioned uh, some of these things are going through Treasury Board directives, like the severance packages, things like that, which can be changed on a whim overnight without the public really knowing. Right, and you just eventually see it listed in it. If they make changes, if it shows actually, up in an order in council, yes, exactly. which you have to kind of dig into the it, details. It might show up in an order in council. Oh. The, the ones that were drafted as sort of part of the package of this bill didn't show up in last week's. Um, so, you know, we're told that they are printed and put in the legislature library, but of course, how... <laughs> Yes, isn't that nice? Anyone who's who's you know, gone through that process knows that it's not, you know, a, a simple matter of walking out and saying, you know, I want that. You have to know what you're looking for, yes. first of all. Yes. Um, I think it's really interesting that Prentice ran on this whole mm-hmm. accountability platform. I mean, we heard about it so much throughout his campaign. And they, first of all, took weeks and weeks to introduce the bill. We didn't really hear much about it during the session. And then it passed very quietly during right an through. evening session last night after being debated over the course of three days, which is really the, the minimum number you could actually uh, allot to, to get a bill through all of the processes. I thought it was just really interesting that something that we'd heard so much about throughout all of those months ended up being, you know, a little footnote at the end of the session. Do you think it really matters, though, if these measures are passed in legislation or regulation? Maybe I'm just super cynical, but it is like a super majority government they can change things in legislation as they want anyways and force that through and, and, and my, but the point but point you is, can only do those while you're debating so at least mm-hmm. at least people are you know hearing about that back and forth they're hearing about the issues that maybe the opposition parties are bringing up or people in the media like uh, Paula or Graham but when when you're talking about regulations those are those are cabinet decisions but people are going to be sneaky if people want to do bad things or like manipulate the system they're going to find ways to do it they're going to find a loophole like no piece of legislation is perfect there's always a a loophole somewhere. Oh, Sarah, so young and yet so cynical. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I or, am cynical. Or you're playing devil's advocate, obviously, on this. You have to be. I, a, a part of me also, but a part of me also thinks, like, because we saw, the, you know, the Redford regime come in. They passed, didn't they pass an accountability act? And they promised the most transparency so and the most accountability. Yes. And, and we saw... We didn't see that play out. Didn't work out very well for them. We we saw people finding other ways to work around the rules, right? So we thought we were seeing all the receipts. We weren't seeing all the receipts. We saw that we only until when the auditor general reported back did we find out that 
no, things weren't as transparent as we want, even though that technically people were following the rules. I would like to say that the invisible people that they booked on the plane were entirely transparent. Yes. <laughs> ah, okay, all right. Well, but yeah, you're right. But the thing is, though, going back to what Miriam's talking about, it's more difficult to screw around with, with um, a law as it is a regulation. And, and one analogy, and this is not a perfect analogy by any stretch of the imagination, but remember a couple of years, a year, year or so, a year, year and a half ago, they announced a wage freeze on civil servants, senior civil servants. Yes, remember I remember. That? And then this summer they quietly revoked that and gave yep. them a 7% yep. wage hike. Mm. You know, it's things like that that they can do behind closed doors in cabinet right. really quickly, uh, really quietly, and very efficiently. Whereas if, if something's actually written in law, they've got to come to the legislature and debate it that and way. And then, you know, they do it anyway, but at, yes. least, at least we get to look aggrieved. We, and we, <laughs> we know about it. Will these changes immunize the government against future expense or severance scandals, do you think? <laughs> well, the idea is they're going to say that, but again... They can do things behind closed doors. Plus, this, this, these are really rules about the civil service and about the people who have grace and favor appointments. They don't really have much impact on the politicians. Yeah, what did the opposition have to say about this, about the bill? Did they, they, that, we we that didn't think it's good enough, obviously, but did, were they happy with it? Uh, no, not really. Um, you know, the NDP put out a really cheeky oh, um, package funny, of um, proposals. Um, things like the Cates Clause and, um, you know, to, to prevent people from writing last-minute checks during elections, that sort of thing. Um, the, the fact is, though, a lot of the problems that the opposition were pointing to dealt with bills that weren't being amended by that piece of legislation. So you can't then bring in amendments and, and raise that issue in the legislature because, for example, it the government bill never never was it trying to deal with those sections the, of the law it wasn't dealing with the elections act it wasn't dealing with the conflict of interest those kinds of things and so you know you, they didn't get to raise those particular issues in the legislature but they did point out there were several other issues that have been issues that we've seen in the last few years that are not even touched by that bill i feel like we're going to see another accountability act a year from now that has further <laughs> updates and drafts <laughs> and that sort of thing well, I don't know if the Accountability Act will immunize the government against other future scandals, but I think many Albertans wish that we could immunize ourselves against the up and down price of oil. As of a few minutes ago, just before we recorded, the WTI price of oil had sunk to just pennies above $61 a barrel. Oi. How? <laughs> that's, Sarah's, that's Sarah's pre-Hanukkah noise. That's, that's right. <laughs> How has the government changed its tone on the issue of oil prices in recent weeks? Because a few weeks ago, we weren't panicking yet. It's interesting that two weeks ago, we had the second quarter update, and they were saying, hey, nobody panic. Uh, the price of oil has dropped, but we're thinking $75 for the rest of the year. Began the year at 95. That was in their budget. We're thinking, you know, now it's going to go down to 75. We're still going to be okay. Billion dollar roughly um, surplus down to 900 million dollars. No one's going to panic. Then within days, they were saying, okay, 65 to 75 dollars for the rest of the year. And now it's down to 61 dollars. And you've got the government becoming more and more uh, pessimistic. I can say that. Uh, this week we had Prentice do his State of the Province address, talking about, um, you know. T- belt tightening. Uh, there will be consequences. Very vague what it all means to government. But he won't tell us what it means. He's saying we're going through the budget process right now. But he said this this week, um, looking at a $7 billion hole uh, in the budget 
uh, the, the revenue that is based on the price of oil dropping. He he is exaggerating that price, by the way. That that big that. Uh, How is that drop. even possible? Isn't that like all the bitumen royalties? Yeah. What, period. What, see what he's doing is exaggerating. He, he's saying the price was ninety five dollars at the beginning of the year, and now it's down to sixty something. You know, sixty three. That's thirty two dollars per barrel. Uh, each dollar drop is worth two hundred and fifteen million dollars to their treasury. So over a year, it's six or seven billion dollars. The thing is, for the first half of the year, it was relatively good. So the price won't be that low for the province. It won't be seven billion dollars. He's exaggerating that 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 drop to try and get people to pay attention to the government's need to cut back. Yeah. So exactly. So is it belt tightening, or is it more like that scene in Gone with the Wind where Mammy pulls Miss Scarlet's corset really, really, really tight? I mean. You do have to wonder, as Graham says, when they start playing politics with the numbers, to what extent are are is the need for cutting legitimate, and to what extent does the low price of oil give them the political excuse they need to make cuts they wanted to do anyway? What are people saying about the Prentice's speech and his new warnings? Oh, they're, everyone's concerned now. I mean, because because the tone has shifted, um, and because people can see the 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 price dropping uh, pretty drastically. You know, it, it doesn't bode well, and there are there are concerns on all fronts. I mean, Graham's right when when Prentice talked about the fact that there will be consequences. You know, it, first of all, it's a it's a from from for example the civil service perspective that's a pretty frightening thing to hear, especially when he won't elaborate on what that means when when the default answer is continuously continuously you know that they're going to be fiscally prudent and cautious and disciplined um, and and. For, for a lot of people, that begins to sound like code words for we're, we're going to be slashing across every ministry. And he, in fact, said that there, he's, he's uh, ordered no more spending across any of the ministries for this year. Um, so what that will mean, again, remains to be seen. Hmm. Graham, you had hypothesized that something like this would potentially trigger an early election. I read every word you write. Yeah, you would potentially <laughs> trigger an early election. Why Why would that be? I'm not saying it will, but I'm saying it's very complex next year because the federal government's going to have an election as well, and, and that's supposed to be in the fall, but you never know. They can always change the date, just like Alberta can change the date, uh, even though we do technically have the, um, yeah, the Elections Act. fixed Elections Acts are so silly. Yes, and of course, another thing in the, the Elections Act in terms of the uh, window, the act spells out that nothing in the act um, would supersede or undermine the lieutenant governor's ability to uh, dissolve parliament and have an election. So in other words, the premier can go into the, to, to see the LG whenever he wants and ask for the, the parliament to be dissolved, and they could do it tomorrow if they wanted to. So the act is there for an election date, but they can get around that really easily. Anyway, it's, having it's said all that. It's more a suggestion. Right. So having said that, um, yeah, if things get really bad and we, we start seeing prices drop to the 40s, you know, $43 is one price forecast for next year. Are you kidding? Really? Yeah, yeah $43. Oh. So if it gets that bad and all of a sudden they've got to make some major decisions on the the economy, they may want to go early as opposed to putting a bad news budget out, you know, uh, next year or 2016 and having an election on that, you do it earlier. You do a, a relatively benign budget, call an election, get a mandate, and then the bad news comes in after. Yeah, the problem is with the price of oil, because this is basically about the Saudis dumping mm-hmm. for political reasons. I mean, this is a kind of economic warfare that the Saudis are waging to to protect their market share. Um, so it's... <sighs> It's very difficult in a cartel market like that to figure out where the price is going to go. I mean, at a certain point, other OPEC members like Venezuela are, you know, I mean, they can't sustain 
super low oil prices like this. But if the Saudis, who apparently can sustain anything, um, continue to monkey with the price of oil, you, you know, it, it leaves us completely without any levers to pull. How how long? And can of course, th- sorry, just to go back, let's get back to our favorite topic: changing <laughs> the tax regime. Because I was we are so trying just to like. <laughs> oh, because you know the thing is, this becomes a big issue in Alberta, and uh, because the government's talking about tightening its belt, and there will be consequences. One of those consequences may be them finally changing the tax regime in this province. Oh, uh, what I want to get you guys for Christmas all is a T-shirt that says, "All I want for Christmas is a sensible tax regime." <laughs> <laughs> so you can look forward to those in your stockings. You, you, really? You think that this might actually force them? I, I, I was kidding earlier. I, I seriously ask you now. Really? Well, because... <laughs> they didn't do it like five years ago, and they didn't do it five years I before know. that. And my column this morning is talking about how to keep doing things again I, I, the same I, I way. Loved, I love Graham's column oh, today, which, which isn't, which isn't going to be my good stuff, so I'll just get this <laughs> in now. It, it's, it's brilliant because he takes all the things that Alison Redford said about the bitumen bubble, and he pretends that Jim Prentice said them. It's like, oh, wait, no, I'm sorry. I know these quotes sound exactly the same. But and they are. They're <laughs> eerily similar between what she was saying, bitumen bubble, and all the problems. And but, looking but, ahead, you know, but maybe they've, maybe they've cut back, and he's actually using old speeches. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, you know, there, there are rumors that cuts are coming to the Public Affairs Bureau, so maybe this this is part of it. It's if they just reuse, idea. reduce, and recycle Redford's old speeches, it'll save them a lot of money. Except for the one issue, we're thinking he may do things differently, and that is he's not ruling out a change in taxes. He keeps saying no sales tax, and we'll maintain our lowest. Oh, sorry, low, not lowest, low tax regime. Mm. And so, and we ask him again and again, does that mean you're going to change the tax regime, progressive tax? And he keeps saying, we're working on things right now. We're going through the budget process. We'll see you later on mm. where we're going to go. And, and Miriam, how long can we live on our savings? Like, how far will that get us through? Oh, I mean, well, that just depends on how much um, debt maybe they decide to take on in, in the budget. I mean, there you, it's it's not going to be that dire, but that's going to be terrible politically, um, dipping into savings again. I mean, the Wild Rose uses that as a an attack tool, and it and it works. I think whenever they hit on those very strict financial sort of issues, it, that's a win. That's a winning sort of strategy for them. So that it, it's going to be interesting to see how the government dances around whatever sort of decisions they make about how to use savings. I mean, it's interesting that they repealed that act to uh, free up um, Heritage Savings Trust Fund money that was going to be tied up in endowments. I feel like all those hospitals we talked about last week with Keith aren't going to be seeing repairs. Well, and the schools soon. will yes. be a really Ooh. interesting. That's the other piece. I mean, I mean he, where he, they go he with the he came out with a. Another schools. 50. Yeah. Or I mean, you know, he there was already this huge backlog in the number that had been promised versus the number that had actually been built. And then he came out with even more promises. And it's beginning to look like that's going to be a very difficult uh, promise to keep. Uh, we heard yesterday in the legislature, the infrastructure minister, uh, Manmi Bular, say that one of the Redford schools has been built. Oh, well, that's a start. Silver lining. We're hitting 2015. Well, let's move on to our our good stuff from the gallery. I know that we will always deliver on good stuff. So, Paula, do you want to start us off? Yes. No, since I'm not, re- I mean, I am recommending Graham's column, but I'm in addition <laughs> in, in addition to <laughs> Graham's you. column, I am recommending uh, a Supreme Court decision that came down uh, first thing Thursday morning. It has to do with whether or not the police have the right to search your cell phone. Do they? Uh, sometimes. Hmm. That is the Supreme Court's. Um, uh, the Supreme Court basically says 
if the police have a really, really good reason to search your cell phone, um, they can look, but they can't just go looking on a fishing trip. It's a longer decision, and you can read it on the link, and then you will see whether I have just preceded properly. Sure. So a good a good dose of legal reading from Paula on the Supreme Court decision. Thank you, Paula. Miriam, would you like to go next? Sure. Uh, I know you and Paula were arguing over who got to do this one. So <laughs> We both happen to have the same choice and then the same backup so it worked out um mine is the cia torture report um you could read you know different reports about the report or you could just read the report and i think it would be good for everybody to read the report i think everyone sort of has a duty um and should feel compelled to um because it's horrifying and you know you should know what what was being done to people uh and and force yourself to know that. So that's my recommendation. Thanks. We'll put up those links. I'm going to suggest a couple of uh, lists, actually. Tis a season of lists, and I want to recommend some book lists because I know a lot of our listeners enjoy uh, some some good book suggestions. So the first uh, book list I'm going to recommend comes from the Christian Science Monitor, and they pulled together their 10 best nonfiction titles of 2014. That includes books like The Age of Ambition by Evan Osnos, Factory man kingdom in the kingdom of ice by uh, hampton sides and i like these lists because i always realize at the end of the year i'm like i how did i miss all these books i didn't know about half of these so then i you know make my library list and they slowly come in over the course of the year the other list i'm going to recommend that's why you're missing them you're reading last year's books i guess i guess that's the problem and then i'm going to recommend the book riots list where uh book riot a, a website about books their contributors recommend their favorite fiction stories of the year so i have a long list from that as well Graham, do you also want to list off uh, your your list of your good stuff? Okay. Um, it is the um, New Yorker magazine, December 1st edition. It's called an uh, article on um, Angela Merkel. It's called The Quiet German, this, The Astonishing Rise of Angela Merkel, the Most Powerful Woman in the World. Really interesting article about Merkel. Uh, she was born in West Germany. East Germany. Sorry, right. no, no. She, she was born, actually, she was born oh, she in was West. Born in West Germany and then yes. raised in East Germany. Yes, her father. Oh, her that. father was a Lutheran minister who moved the family to East Germany. He moved them to East Germany. Yes. Wow, yeah. I didn't know that. That's, yes, yeah. it's a really interesting article. Because I knew she was East German. Yes, but yeah. It, yeah. She, she grew up there. Who goes she, the other way? Exactly. That's part of the, the interesting article. Explains some of that. Um, and also, she was a quantum chemist. Um, brilliant woman. Uh, really interesting. Uh, she speaks Russian, traveled in the Soviet Union, is very close to Vladimir Putin in a sense that he, of course, worked, if I can use that term, for the KGB in East Germany. He speaks German, she speaks Russian, even though she has no respect for the man, explains again in the article why. Um, very close connections with uh, Russia and, and Germany, and it's a really well-written, interesting article about this really fascinating character Father's Lutheran minister and raised, born in West Germany, raised in East Germany, and of course becomes chancellor of the whole country. Oh, that sounds really good. I think we're all going to go pull that up instantly, and we'll put the links uh, on for that. So that's it for this week. Thanks to Graham, Paula, and Miriam for their excellent synopsis, and uh, thanks to journal videographer Ryan Jackson. You'll find a clip of our discussion at edmontonjournal.com, and previous episodes of the Press Gallery are archived on our website at edmontonjournal.com slash opinion. You can download the podcast from iTunes or listen via our Edmonton Journal SoundCloud feed. 
To keep tabs with the Press Gallery on Facebook these days, please like Edmonton Journal's main Facebook page. That's where you'll see all the updates. Next week, I'm pretty sure, we're going to record our quiz show edition, so kind of a year-end contest, and we'll see if we can have a rematch between Graham, Paula, and assignment editor Mark Suits, who, who, cl- who cleaned our clocks. He, he did. We Yeah, he was really good. And uh, then we're going to take two weeks vacation. So we'll be back in 2015 after that. But you get one more week of the press gallery. I know, just like serial fans, you'll be dying, dying for the next episode. We'll be back next week in the press gallery.